0: This morning, I want us to raise the question, what's the most important promise? And the answer to that, there's lots of different passages which show what the most important promise is, but the passage I want us to focus on is John chapter 6. So let's go ahead and turn there. John chapter 6. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, Thanks, Dale, other guys. We want to pass a Bible out to you. I'd like you all to be able to look this up. John chapter 6 is on page 891 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Right now, go ahead and turn there. Now, here's some background to this passage. Jesus uh, was out on a desolate place, seacoast of the Sea of Galilee. A crowd of 5,000 men, not including women and children, 5,000 men were there. It probably would have been a crowd of 8,000, 10, 12,000 people. So, they were all there with Jesus in this desolate place on the Sea of Galilee. And they were out of food. And of course, it's a desolate place. There's no Taco Bells or Subways. And so, Jesus is concerned about their need for food. And all that Jesus has to work with is this boy's five loaves, little loaves, and two fish. And Jesus, being God, I love this story, he thanks the Father for the five loaves and the two fish. And by his power, he multiplies those five loaves into probably ten or 20,000 loaves. And he multiplies those two fish into probably ten or 20,000 fish. And all the crowd of 10,000 people, say, were totally satisfied in their hunger. And they were so, there was so much food that they had 12 baskets full of leftovers. So Jesus fed this massive crowd. Then, that night, the disciples get into a boat, head across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks across. It's a whole other story. You can check it out. It's the beginning of John chapter 6. And so the next morning, the crowd of people wakes up, Jesus isn't there. They notice one of the boats is gone, they put two and two together, they pile into as many boats, or as many of them as can pile into boats and head across looking for Jesus. Now you'd think that was a good thing. I all these people are looking for Jesus, but when you look in John chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, which I'll encourage you to read on your own, you see that they're seeking Jesus, yes, but for the wrong reasons. They're seeking him. One reason Jesus brings out is because they just want more food. Okay, They had food last night. Thank you. It's morning. Breakfast. Where's breakfast? Place is still desolate. Still no 7-Elevens. Where's Jesus? Last night was good. Okay, So they're looking for more food. The second reason they're seeking him is because they'd like to see if Jesus can do a miracle like what Moses did. Like every day, have food come down from heaven for them. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to have happen? So they are seeking for Jesus. But Jesus says they're seeking him for the wrong reason. They're missing the points. They're missing the most important promise. And what Jesus tells them is that God has a better kind of bread for them than they're seeking. God has a kind of bread he wants to give them that's lasting, that that lasts not just now, not just for the next few hours, but into eternal life. God has a kind of bread That he wants to give them, that will actually give them not just physical life, but full emotional, spiritual, psychological, every dimension of life forever. When they heard that, they thought, this is amazing. We want that kind of bread. And they say to Jesus, give us this bread. We want that kind of bread that will last forever, that will take us through to eternal life, that will give us the full orbed life that we're looking for. We want that bread. And Jesus blows them away with what he says next in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Can you feel that? I am. The bread of life. I'm the bread that God's given to you who will satisfy you now and forever, who will satisfy you into eternal life, who will give you the full orbed life that you're looking for. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now that's the verse I want us to focus on this morning. And I just kind of want to unpack it by asking a couple questions to kind of lead us through. Because this is a verse you can read through in your morning time with God. And just it's just so easy to miss. I mean, this is an amazing verse. If we get this verse, Mercy Hill Church, we will be transformed. Individually, transformed in our home groups, transformed in our advancing Jesus mission into our neighborhoods and workplaces in the South Bay Area. This one verse, if we'll get it, if we'll get it this morning... Oh, it'll be transforming. So, let's take a look. Now, the first question I want to raise is, what kind of hunger and thirst is Jesus talking about? He's just said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Hmm, hunger. What's he talking about? Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thirst. What's he, what's he talking about? Hunger and thirst. Now, it can't be physical hunger and thirst because that's what the people were coming to him for. And he's just said, you guys are settling for too little. There's a whole other kind of hunger and thirst that I'm talking about that's much more important. And I think what Jesus is talking about here is heart hunger and thirst. I mean, think about it. When your stomach is full of food and drink, you're not hungry or thirsty, right? You feel full, satisfied. In the same way, when your heart is full of of joy and peace, there's no heart, hunger, or thirst. You're full and you're satisfied, right? But, when your stomach does not, is not full of food and drink, when it's empty, you feel hungry. Okay, hopefully you aren't feeling hungry now. Put that out of your mind if you are. Okay, we'll take care of that soon, or you'll take care of that soon. Um, but the same way, when your heart is not full of joy and peace, when it's empty of joy and peace, you feel heart hunger, And thirst. Now you've probably never called it that, but it's helpful for us to start calling it that because that's what Jesus calls us here, and that'll connect our heart hungers and thirsts with this verse. So, here's what I want you to think about: What are some words that we use to describe what Jesus is talking about here as heart hungers and thirsts? When your heart is empty of joy and peace, what do you feel? What are some of the you know? You know what it is like to feel physical hunger, growling. You know, you don't feel so good. What does it feel like when your heart is empty of joy and peace? Now I'm going to write them down up here. I just thought of a couple of them. Like I thought of the word sadness. Is this pen going to work? Sad. Can you read that? Anyway, here we go. I thought of sadness. I thought of um, lonely. I thought of disappointed. Are you thinking of any others? Help me out here. Depression. Okay. Somebody else? I can't hear you. Emptiness? Emptiness. What else? Worry? Worry. Fear? Fear. More? Actually, I should start writing faster if I'm going to say more. (laughs) (laughs) Not more? Okay. Anxiety? I'm not getting these written down fast enough. All right. What else? I'm sorry? Like a heart sickness? Heart sick. Yeah. I'll put down the word sickness. In terms of a, of a heart sickness, I'm really sorry about this pen. Wow, I heard there was, somebody else had one. I got fear up there. What else? I'm sorry. Guilty. Guilty. More. Shame. Impatient. Okay, the pen's running out. All right. What else? Got some more? Crabby. Crabby. All right more. Let's we'll write down here. How about um sense of meaninglessness, insecurity, bitterness, hopelessness. See, all those and there's probably dozens more, but all those is what you could use to describe how your heart feels when it's empty of peace and when it's empty of joy. Then there's heart hungers and thirsts. You want something to satisfy your sadness, your loneliness, your disappointment, your anxiety. And I can't read the rest of those. Okay, so that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 35. Now, before we go to the next question, what are some ways that people in our culture try to satisfy heart hungers and thirsts when you're crabby, when you're lonely, when you're empty, when you're impatient, when you're fearful, anxious, worry, when you have heart sadness? The rest of them that are up here, disappointment, lonely, worry. What are some of the ways that people in our culture Try to solve their heart hungers and thirsts. Food, ice cream, Food, ice cream. What? Shopping. shopping. What else? Alcohol. What else? Entertainment. I'm sorry. Video games. Video games. Talking to somebody, complaining on the phone. Um, jogging, if that's your thing. Material, Material buying stuff. You know, just go buying another something. What else? Getting attention. Don, is that yours? Yeah. yeah? Okay. TV, entertainment, entertain me, get my mind off my trouble, distract me for a while, right? Online Online stuff, pornography, right? Because there's this whole long list of stuff. and, And all of those things are motivated by the desire to satisfy heart, hungers, and thirsts. Now see, you've all had heart, hungers, and thirsts this last week. You didn't probably use that phrase to describe it, but that's what It was. You all had some kind of heart, hungers, and thirsts, the desire for pleasure, the desire for heart satisfaction, the desire to have a disappointment, you know, amended, uh, satisfied, fear taken away. We've all had heart, hungers, and thirsts this last week. And we've all done different things to try to have our heart, hungers, and thirsts satisfied. But What I want you to notice in this verse is what does Jesus promise to do about our heart, hungers, and thirsts? Look at verse 35 again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now this is a verse that's just so easy to skip over, but do you see what he's saying here? Jesus promises to satisfy all of our heart hungers and thirsts. All of them, he promises. So when we come to him, when we believe in him, all of our heart, hungers, and thirsts will be completely satisfied. It's an amazing promise. Now, I don't think that that means that once you come to Jesus and believe in him, the first time you get saved, that from then on you'll never again have any hungers and thirsts. You could think that. I don't think that's what it means here. That's not borne out by other passages, what I think this remember Raj talking about we were talking about this once. this is a number of years ago. Raj is now in Central Asia. But as we pondered this, and I, I think what he and I came up with is right, what this means is that when you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you're first saved, your heart is fully, your heart hungers and thirsts are fully satisfied. And for the rest of your life, every time you have a heart, hunger and thirst, you can bring it to Jesus, and it'll be satisfied. Every time, everyone again and again and again, for the rest of your life. You get worried, you can come to Jesus. You'll be satisfied. You're frustrated, you can come to Jesus. There will be heart satisfaction. You're fearful, you can come to the Lord Jesus. You'll be met. You're empty, purposeless, looking for something to satisfy you. You can come to Jesus, and your heart, hunger, and thirst will be satisfied, again and again and again and again, through the rest of your life, for eternity. Now, what that means is that all these... Sadness, every sadness, Jesus can satisfy. Every fear, Jesus can satisfy. Disappointment, worry, emptiness, depression. Every heart, hunger, and thirst that you've had this last week. Even better, every heart, hunger, and thirst you have right now. Right now, Jesus can completely satisfy it. Every heart, hunger, and thirst. Now, just one other caution I don't think this means that when the people who come to Jesus and believe in Jesus are like always like happy without any kind of grief or sorrow. That's not born out in Scripture, is it? I mean, Jesus was deeply grieved as he was on the way to the cross, for example, right? And he was without sin. Paul talks about those who grieve because loved ones have died and gone to be with the Lord, they do grieve, as they should. That's a sign of love for someone when you grieve at their home going. They grieve, Paul says, but not as those without hope. So the Christian life emotionally is complex. I like to talk about this a lot because I don't want you to get the wrong idea that it's all kind of we paste smiles on and everything's fine and if you really are trusting Jesus, you'll never grieve or sorrow. That's wrong. But, You've experienced this if you know Jesus. In your grief, Jesus can meet you in such a strengthening, comforting, heart-satisfying way. Where the grief is wrapped in his arms, if you will. The grief is carried by him, if you will. And the grief doesn't go away, but it's carried, it's covered, it's healed. He's there with you in it. And there is joy in that, but it's not kind of a plastic, paste-on thing, but it's experienced, it's powerful, it's Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. In our sadness and grief, we can have our hearts at the same time fully met and satisfied in the living Jesus. Okay, so how does Jesus satisfy our heart, hungers, and thirsts? How does he do that? Sounds really, really good. Sounds too good to be true, frankly, you might think. How does Jesus do that? And the way that he does that, well, you might think that he does that, let's do it this way. Let's say that you were diagnosed with diabetes lately, okay? Okay. And the doctor says, here's what this mean, and here's the possible developments. And, and that gives you fear, and it gives you worry, and it gives you stress and anxiety, right? Heart, hungers and thirst. Your peace is gone, and it's been replaced by worry and fear and anxiety. Now, Jesus says he can satisfy you, that, that he can satisfy that heart, hunger, and thirst. How might he do that? You might think he will do that by taking the diabetes away. And Jesus does do that at times, right? In fact, I just heard, was it Ben Mancini who prayed for Lisa Strauss's pain this last week and it went away after home group? Anyway, there's, there's times where God supernaturally brings his power upon us and heals us. He does that. There's times when he does that. That's why we pray for the sick here. We love to do that. But God doesn't do that all the time. What does God do all the time to satisfy your heart when you're worried and and anxious and concerned about this diabetes thing? It's not that he takes the diabetes away necessarily. It's that what he does is gives you himself. He gives you himself. That's what he does. And you can see that right here in verse 35. It's not by removing the diabetes. It's by giving you himself. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am... The bread of life. Heart hunger needs this bread of life. So what's the bread of life that's going to satisfy the heart hunger? It's Jesus. I am the bread of life. The bread of life isn't something Jesus gives you separate from himself. The bread of life is Jesus. You can see this in the rest of verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So what satisfies your heart, hungers, and thirsts is coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, connecting with the living Jesus. As I thought about this, just at this point in my sermon preparation, I thought, I'm sure that there's going to be some people listening where you hear that, but you have no grid for understanding what that's talking about. It's like me saying your heart can be totally satisfying in Ghibli bush. It's like whatever. Because you have, no, you have no experience of that. And and there's there's two reasons why you might have not might not have any connection. When I say that your heart can be totally satisfied in Jesus, there's two possible reasons. One is you've never been saved, and I'll talk about that more in a moment. But a second reason is maybe you've been saved and you've never heard that this is what Jesus wants to do and that this is the most important promise. Let's go back to to the saved one. Let me explain how this works. Our problem, and all of us share in this, as human beings, descendants of Adam, is that we've all sinned against God. And sin has multiple effects on us when we've turned away from God. But one of the effects is that it blinds us to seeing who God is. And I, I kind of wanted to use an illustration just as simple as this. It's like these sunglasses, okay? Let's imagine that these sunglasses were totally like you couldn't see through them at all. And so the first time that I sinned and turned away from God, it's like I was, I was blinded. So that I couldn't see Jesus. I couldn't see God. Now, somebody could talk to me about God. Somebody could talk to me about Jesus. And, you know, he fed the 5,000, 10,000 in this case. He, you know, walked on water. And I could understand all those as words, but I couldn't see the glory of Jesus, uh, because I was blinded, and you were too. Sin has blinded you, and it's blinded me to seeing God, to seeing Jesus. So I can, I can think of Jesus, whatever, he did this, but I don't see his goodness. I don't see his glory. I don't see his majesty, because sin has blinded me. Okay, that's where we're at. But, God didn't leave us in that blinded Position And again, the blindness was willful. We're blinded by sin. We're blinded by lust. We're blinded by greed. We're blinded by pride. We're blinded by desire for independence. All those things blind us to who Jesus is and who God is. But God didn't leave us there. God is good. God loves us. He loves to pour his mercy out upon us. And so he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, died on the cross to pay for our sin, So he paid for our sin, and then God can bring his save, because of Jesus, God can bring his saving power upon people like us who are blinded to him and blinded to Jesus. He changes our hearts. He takes off the sunglasses. He removes the blindness from us. And for the first time, we see. Remember how that was when you were first saved? It's like you went from darkness to light. Like the song we sang about this morning. You went from blindness to seeing. Those are the kinds of metaphors that are used in scripture because that's exactly what happened. Not that you were literally physically blind, but you were willfully blind to God and to Jesus. And when you were saved, the blindness was removed. You could see God. You could see Jesus in God's glory, Jesus' goodness, God's love, Jesus' faithfulness. What have I been missing? And you see God in his glory and Jesus in his goodness and you repent over your sin because you see how wrong your sin was. I've sinned against you. And for the first time because you see Jesus for who he is, your heart is satisfied. You behold him. He's pouring his love into your heart. And to behold Jesus and drink in his love and his joy and his peace and his presence, your heart is completely satisfied for the first time. All your heart hungers. All your heart thirsts, all these things are completely satisfied in Jesus. So here's what I want to say. If, if you've never been saved, and I, I would guess probably some of you have never been, this is good news for you. Because the, the blindness that you have towards Jesus can be changed just like that. Simply ask God to save you and then just take the sunglasses off turn away from the greed the lust the independence repent of your sin put your trust in Jesus Christ he'll change your heart he'll heal your spiritual blindness and you'll see Jesus for who he is and I promise you for the first time your heart hungers and thirsts will be completely satisfied that's what Jesus does that's what God does in saving us so that's how Jesus satisfies our heart hungers and thirsts Not by changing the circumstances necessarily. He can do that. He can give you a promotion and a raise. Okay, He can take the pain away when somebody in your home group prays for you. He does that, but not all the time. But what he will do all the time, the most important promise, because he does it all, all the time for every need every problem you will ever face what he does all the time is as you come to him and believe in him he will satisfy your heart hungers and thirsts with himself that's what he will do quick story This last week jan and i were at the Acts 29 conference had a great time by the way and thank you i know a number of you are praying for us really good time um, but we didn't know anybody there, or just very few people. And these are, you know, pastors and their wives who've been together for years, and they all know each other. And, and we're thinking, okay, we want to meet some people. And there's bound to be some other new people here. We want to, you know, it's kind of like insecure, you know, we don't know anybody, and they all know each other, and they're all good friends, and we're you know, like brand new. And, we just decided we just want to be a, a, a blessing and a benefit to people here, just to be encouraging, to talk to whoever God wants us to talk to. So we prayed together the first time before we were going to go into the meeting and just said, Lord, lead us to who you want us to talk to. Because the vast majority of the time was just talking to people, just getting to know people. Okay? And so we prayed together and I tell you that, that first, the first people we met and every I think every single time after that, it's like amazing connections, people in common, things we needed to hear from them, things they needed to hear from us. I mean, the Lord just simply did it. And so trusting our needs to Him. But what He did in us, you know, because there's some heart hunger of insecurity and fear and trepidation, is we prayed together and just I just knew that God was going to lead us and take care of it. There was peace, my heart hungers and thirsts were satisfied, with Himself, with his own security, with his own promise, with his own nearness. That's how God does it. Now, one last question. What do we do to experience Jesus in this way? Tomorrow, you're going to check your emails. It's like, oh, your heart's going to sink when you read this email. That's a heart, hunger, and thirst. Okay? Tomorrow night when you come home, your kids are going to have messed up the house, okay? That's going to produce some heart, hunger, and thirst, okay? Your husband's going to say something tomorrow night. None of the husbands here, but not your other husband, anyway. Whatever happens there, it'll cause a heart, hunger, and thirst, okay? You, You apply it to your situation. So the point is, in fact, even this afternoon, you're going to have heart, hunger, and thirst that are going to hit you. This is just life, right? So what do you do to experience this? Oh, and this is, this is just so, this is so key. I, if we can get this, church, if Mercy Hill Church could be full of people who, whenever a heart, hunger, or thirst comes, every time it's like, bing! I know what that is. That's a heart, hunger, and thirst. I know what to do with this. Do what he says in verse 35. So what does he tell us to do in verse 35? Let's read it again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Two things we do: come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. Now, why does Jesus talk about two things? I think I think it's because they overlap, but each of them emphasizes a different aspect of the one thing that we do. Here's what I mean: when Jesus calls us to come to Him, that's a metaphor. I mean, we don't, it's not like he's over there and we're going to come to him, but, but it emphasizes the relational, experiential, mystical, if you will, dimension of your relationship with Jesus. Because how do you come to Jesus? You don't move somewhere physically and be closer to Jesus, right? By the way, going to church doesn't necessarily have you is the way to come to Jesus, especially if you're in a school, right? No, it never is. Uh, the way you come to Jesus is you and your heart... Set your attention, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, upon Jesus. And Jesus, that's who he is. You will connect with him. That's how you do it, right? That's how you come to Jesus. And so the idea of coming to Jesus emphasizes the relational, experiential aspect. Now, I want to hammer on this a little bit. I mentioned this last week, because I think that there's lots of church-going people, lots of Christian people, and for them... Faith in Jesus means believing truths about Jesus. Like, Jesus will take care of me. Well, that is true. But to say, Jesus will take care of me, there's no relational dynamic there, right? To say, God's in control, I don't need to worry, that's true. There's worse things to say than that. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about here is where you you come to him personally. God, you are in control. Jesus, you love me. It's where your heart is connecting with the living Jesus. You're talking to him. You're interacting with him. You're relating to him. You're thanking him for his promise. You're asking for him to do what he's promised. So that first phrase, come to Jesus, emphasizes the relational experiential dynamic. So please, please, please... Don't think that by you saying truths about Jesus that that's what it is because you will not have your heart, hungers, and thirst satisfied much if you do that. It's better than nothing, but there's much more for you to have a heart connection with the living Jesus where you're talking to him is what he's after here. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And then when Jesus calls us to believe in him he's emphasizing another aspect that's crucial, and that is the truth aspect, the doctrinal aspect. Because to believe in Jesus, the word believe, means there's truths that you believe about him. Truth is vital. Truth is essential. And there are some people, I forget if it's left or right brain, but it'd be the other one, There's some people who are very into the experiential, and so they just kind of want to connect to Jesus, but they they kind of do it by emptying their minds, just kind of connect. Don't think about anything, just connect. That's worthless. That doesn't connect you with Jesus. You've got to come to him and believe in him. Both aspects are crucial. So... Come to Jesus, direct your heart to Jesus and fellowship with him, talk with him about the truth of what he's promised to be for you. Coming to him, connecting with him concerning the truth of who he is. Coming, believing. Connection, content. Relationship, truth. Wedded together. Okay, quiz time. Let's say, for example, I wrote an example in here. Well, just very simple. Let's say that I've got some problems, so make sure you get this. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving home, and I've got this problem, and I'm saying, God's going to take care of it, God's going to take care of it, God's going to take care of it. What's missing? Coming to Him. Right? Are you guys getting this? Okay. So, or let's say I'm coming home, and I'm at a stoplight, and I'm just kind of, why don't you connect home? I'm just connecting home. Okay, what's missing? Believing in him, okay? Coming to him and believing in him. I don't think they're two watertight separate compartments. I think they overlap, but they both emphasize a different aspect, which is vital. So that's what Jesus calls us to do come to him and believe in him. Talk with Jesus about his promises, thank him for his promises, behold the truth of who he is in his promises. What the scriptures teach about him. Worship him for who he is. Ask him to help us in our heart hungers and thirsts. And as we have that heart connection with Jesus, in the truth of who he is, he will come and satisfy you. This this last week, one morning, I heard something from somebody that really bothered me. And I was anxious, angry, insecure, hungry. Hungry heart hungry, okay? Are you guys getting it? That's heart hunger. You're thinking, oh, that's a heart hunger, Fuller. You know what to do, right? Okay, heart hunger. That's what it is. And so, um, as I was driving, I was just asking Jesus to meet me, and the verse that came into my mind was Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Um, I wrote down here in case I forgot it. Here it is. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So, I just was talking to Jesus, Lord, you're my strength here. Thank you that you make me strong in you, that who you are, who you promise to be to me, your love for me, your forgiveness, your goodness to me, your commitment to caring for me makes me strong. But then it really struck me, you're not just my strength, you're my song. Because I have this picture, if it's just like strength, like I'm just kind of gripping my teeth and kind of muscling through the day, that's not all that Jesus does. He's not just my strength, He's my song. He makes me sing for joy, as I'm going through my days, I thought, you're an amazing God. You strengthen me through hard times, and you, it's not just like girded my teeth strength, but you make me sing with joy in who you are. And that truth that Jesus is my song, as I was talking to him about this, he so met me in that, that my heart, hungers, and thirsts were completely satisfied. The situation didn't change. What the person said to me didn't get deleted off of my mind, you know, whatever. It still happens, But Jesus, with strength and song, satisfying presence, met me. Now that's what I want to call you to do. That's what I want to have us as Mercy Hill Church. It's like this is the the center of the Christian life. This is not the only thing we do. But this is the central thing we do as followers of Jesus. Jesus taking our heart, hungers, and thirsts to Him, coming to Him, believing Him with every heart, hunger, and thirst that happens, taking a 30-second break at work just to pray about something, driving home, giving, casting our burdens upon Him because He cares for us, surrendering our concerns to Him, talking to Him about them, saying, I trust this into your hands, I trust your promises, help me with this. And when we do that, earnestly, meaningfully, He will meet us and satisfy us. So this isn't the only thing we do, but this is the the central thing that we do. Everything else flows from this. We're called by Jesus to love our wives, to love our husbands, to raise our kids, to work hard at our jobs. We're called by Jesus to love those in our home groups, to encourage them and build them in their faith and, and really love each other. We're called by Jesus to be missionaries here in San Jose, advancing his purposes in our neighborhoods and with our friends and in our city and in our workplaces. We're called to all those things. So this isn't the only thing we're called to do here, but everything else we're to do flows from this with life and with fullness and with peace and with love. So please, Mercy Hill Church, get this. Every heart, hunger and thirst you have, learn how to Take it to Jesus, to come to Jesus in prayer, personal heart connection with him, surrender it to him, thank him for his promises, thank him for his love, thank him for his goodness, ask him for help, worship him for who he is. And as you have that heart-to-heart interaction concerning the truth of Jesus as revealed in the scriptures, he will bring his living presence to you and your heart will be changed, satisfied. Now, many of you have experienced that many times. Some of you haven't because you haven't been saved and you could become saved today. Others of you maybe haven't because you've never been taught this is what it is. This is what it is. Memorize John 6.35. And I want all of us to be increasing in this. And then we gather together in our home groups. We talk about how is it going with our heart, hungers, and thirsts. Which have we been able to bring before the Lord and have Him meet us? Which do we need to bring before the Lord together as a group tonight? Pray for each other and have the Lord meet us. Fighting the fight of faith together by bringing every heart, hunger, and thirst to the Lord. Now here's what I want us to do. On your page there, I've got a place where you can jot down a heart, hunger, or thirst that you have. See the line there? I know lines are kind of scary. Don't copy anybody else's. Okay, this is just for you. Nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. You can use code if you want to. That's all right. But I want you to get it really tangible so you're thinking what heart, hunger, thirst, like a decision you have to make that's troubling you, a problem you face at work this next week, an unresolved discipline issue with one of your children, a relationship that's kind of going sideways. You want to get it back on track. You know, What's a hunger, a thirst, a need that you have? Just jot it down right there. And what I want to do is, is take a moment here and just give you a chance, just for a few moments here, to come to Jesus with this heart, hunger, and thirst, to believe in Jesus about this heart, hunger, and thirst, and see what he might start to do in your heart right now in terms of satisfying you. So Dave, could you come on up? Because I'm just going to have Dave maybe just do some music stuff in the background for a little bit. Dave is always so flexible. Appreciate it. And you just just jot down a heart hunger, a heart thirst, and then we're going to put a scripture up here, Galatians 2.20. I just picked one that I thought would be kind of generic. You may have a scripture in your mind already that would be more pertinent to your specific situation, but this covers everything in Paul's life, so I thought it would probably cover everything in our lives. Paul says, The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's truth about Jesus. So to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you love me. Oh, let me just say this again. There's a world of difference between believing that Jesus loves you, saying, I know Jesus loves me. That's a good thing to believe, good thing to say. But there's a world of difference between saying, Jesus loves me, and saying, Jesus, I know you love me. There's a world of difference between those two. So talk to Jesus about these truths. You love me. Jesus, you gave yourself up for me on the cross. And because you've demonstrated that powerful kind of love for me, I want to trust you now for this work problem, this discipline problem with my kids, this marital tension that we're facing right now. Help me. I thank you for your love. I want to trust your love. Help me to see and feel more of your love right now. So you and your heart of hearts come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus with this verse. I'm not going to say any more. This is time for you and the Lord. Dave's just going to have some music in the background. Let's take a few moments now and just do this. Go ahead, right now. Lord, I want to thank you for this astonishing promise that you give us. That you, Jesus, are the bread of life. And that whoever comes to you shall not hunger. And whoever believes in you shall never thirst. Thank you. What an overflow of love and goodness you are, Jesus. That you would take care of all of our sin, that you'd wash us clean from all of our guilt, that should clothe us with your perfect righteousness as we trust in you, and then you promise to satisfy every heart, hunger, and thirst we'll ever have in yourself. That's who you are. You, you are the all-satisfying one. Strengthen us in this, I pray, this week. Help us to be attuned to heart hungers and thirst when they arise when we snap at our kids that we think heart hunger and thirst alert that when we are discouraged we would think heart hunger and thirst alert that you would see these things the way you see them and the way you want us to deal with them and pour out your heart satisfying presence upon us I pray Jesus for the glory of your name I'm gonna do that.